0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. If you are tuning in on the live stream, I want to say welcome and thank you for joining us via the web. And if you're here this morning, again, thank you for being here uh, especially if you're a visitor, uh, we, we want to welcome you and uh, just say thank you so much for choosing to worship with us and choosing to check things out and be here. Uh, there's actually been a lot of new faces popping up lately. There's been a lot of new members, the Staffords. Um, very exciting. If you get a chance to talk with them afterwards, they are great people and are going to be a big part of this congregation. So, uh, Also, new baptisms. This is the first Sunday that Grace Watson has been here since her baptism, so let's give it up for Grace. Very exciting to see this body flourish in so many different ways. So, We are continuing our sermon series this morning, The Word of the Lord. And as we uh, have have done in the past, we are taking from the lectionary, and this morning we'll be looking at the epistle text that's provided, and it is a rich one. So I do, I want to dive right in this morning to Romans chapter 8, 1 through 11, Um, and I want to specifically look at this passage and three different components of it. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look this morning at Romans 8, 1 through 11, and we're going to look at the law the Messiah, and the Spirit. The law, the Messiah, and the Spirit. So, as with the last couple weeks, when I finish reading the text, I will say the word of the Lord, and you all will respond with thanks be to God. So let's go ahead and begin in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace Because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, this person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Your body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. God, we do give thanks to You this morning. God, I thank You for this time of worship, for the music, for the prayer, and for the proclamation of Your Word, for Your table, and for the presence of Your Spirit this morning, God. We pray that You would permeate our hearts, that You would permeate the text and reveal it to us, God, that You would give me the gift of preaching, And that you would speak a word of gospel truth to us. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. No condemnation. These first words of our text jump off the page and ring in our ears like the opening notes of a Star Wars movie. You know what I'm talking about. The theater is totally dark the darkness of the theater, the silence, and then suddenly that huge golden logo just blasts across the screen, and you hear these, this fanfare, this trumpeting of John Williams right into your ears. And, and that is how this text jumps off the page at me. No condemnation. And yet the curious thing is that in this lectionary series, we're not in the beginning of the Romans text. We've jumped right into the middle right into chapter eight. And Ben Ben did wonderfully kick us off in this series a couple weeks ago with Romans chapter six, but still, we don't have the same kind of context that we had when we went through, say, Ephesians last spring, and we got to start from the first word of Paul to the very last page of the letter. And so this morning, I don't know if you're the type who likes to kind of wade in slowly to the pool, getting yourself acclimated, but we're jumping right in. We are, are cannonballing right into the, the deep end of the Romans' pool in, in chapter 8 this morning. And let me tell you, it is very deep water. Uh, this is monumental uh, theology right here. And this is, I, I don't think I'm speaking in hyperbole when I say that aside from the Gospels, probably the most single most important Christian document in Christian history. Paul's letter to the Romans. The list of people that have been transformed by this letter, whose lives have been changed, is thousands of miles long, and it includes such formidable church history names as St. Augustine and Martin Luther and Karl Barth, people who, who reread this letter and started revolutions in the process and were also changed within. And as I alluded earlier, not only are we in this monumental book of Romans, but we are at the heart of it. We are at the very center of Paul's theology, and we are in the pinnacle of this letter in chapter 8. So I want to jump right back into verses 1 through 3. Where Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. So for a little bit of Romans context, we've been talking about the law. Paul is is talking about the law delivered to Moses by God on Mount Sinai to his people, the Israelites. And what we need to to note in Paul's discussion of the law is that uh, the law is not itself the problem for God's people. You know, there's kind of this, I sense this sort of undercurrent in Christianity sometimes where we think that, well, Jesus actually kind of saved us from Judaism. Well, first of all, Jesus was a Jew. So that's that's not exactly the case, though, but I feel like we kind of think that, you know, we can kind of just... Saw off those first 39 books in our Bibles and get rid of them, and and that's kind of gone and done with. But, But that's not what Paul is saying here this morning. Paul's not saying that the law itself is the problem. In fact, the law is not villain, but victim. So, like us, weakened by the flesh, the law is not the villain, it has become the victim, as we are. So who is the villain? The villain is sin, with a capital S. Sin and death, we might even say. And so the problem is that that the law has been weakened by the flesh. And even though it was intended to bring life, the law has now begun to bring death. Because sin is law-defeating. So great is the power of sin, so weak is the flesh that even though the law was intended for good, intended for life, it spelled death for God's people. In fact, take a look at Romans 7, 9 through 10, just before our text. Paul says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. If you've ever been working in a group project at work or at school, uh, you might know uh, somebody who's been in your group, God bless them, who had fantastic ideas, who, who had ideas to contribute, but had no way to actually help you implement them. You know, th- this person who, you know, they can see all the holes in, in your ideas, and they have these great ideas that they're bringing to the table, but they can't see their way to get you from A to B to actually con- contribute to the effort in a concrete tangible way that's kind of the law in Romans 7 and 8 it has great intentions no execution no power to actually you know surmount the opposition to it because sin is law defeating but Paul's got good news for us Paul has gospel for us in chapter 8 Take a look again at verses 3 and 4. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, as we dive a little bit deeper into this pool, I want to look at Paul's use of the word flesh. Because I think sometimes when we hear this, this contrast between flesh and spirit, we have a tendency to think that Paul is rejecting the physical order. Uh, that he's rejecting the physical in favor of the non-physical. But that's, that's not what's going on here. Paul has different language for physical or non-physical. And, and furthermore, Paul was a Jew. So Paul had had a good, positive view of the created order. Remember, God created the world and he called it very good. Instead, what Paul is referring to with this word flesh is, is the people or things who share the corruptibility, the mortality, and the rebellion of the world. So flesh is a negative term typically for Paul but it's it's not a rejection of the physical created order it's a rejection of its wrong use its corruption and defacing and decay so flesh refers to that rebellion in the world in the words of Marilyn Robinson there is never just one transgression there is a wound in the flesh of human life that scars when it heals and often enough seems never to heal at all. That's the flesh. But what does Paul say? Paul says that God has sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul says, hey, the law couldn't cut it. And guess what? You couldn't cut it either. Weakened by the flesh as it was, the law and you could not meet God's requirements. So God put on that corruptible flesh. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus, who didn't abolish the law, but fulfilled it. Who on the cross spoke a triumphant no to sin and a resounding yes to humanity. So guess what? Paul says we're no longer under the law of sin and death because the life-giving spirit has set us free. And it, it makes me think of the times that I have visited my high school after graduation. Have you ever done that? You know, walking around the, these halls that you've spent countless, countless hours, you know, you're getting in line and, and you're going to class and you're talking too much in class, maybe that was just me, but, but you spent all this time And when you go back as a graduate, as an alumnus, it's totally different. You're kind of walking around in in this different light, to this different time. You're not walking to the rhythms of the bells, you're not walking to the rhythms of the classes. You're you're totally in this different space. And you find even that when you talk with your teachers, you're on different terms with them. They're invariably a little less guarded, a little kinder, it seems, a little less demanding. You know, and, and you find that you're not under the thumb of the administration anymore. They can't write you up for tardies or send you to detention. And if you stay long enough on your visit, you might even find that the lunch ladies and the lunch gentlemen are totally different. You know, there are less restrictions on the food that you can eat. There are more generous portions. It's different. And that's what I find it is with the law here. That, that's almost the sense I get from Paul. that There's, there's no longer any condemnation that, that Paul is saying that, you know, those bells, you don't walk to them anymore. You've been set free. That, that you're, you're all alumni regarding the law. That, that now you walk in different ways and talk in different ways and you, you even eat in different ways. In fact, in the, the King James translation of Galatians 3, Paul says this, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And that's just the thing. We're not the ones who did it. We didn't even graduate, it was Jesus who graduated. Jesus went to all of our classes. Jesus is the one who aced the test, who, who graduated with honors and freed us from this law of sin and death. Jesus faithfulness. But not only did Jesus free us again from the law of sin, he also freed us from the law of death because the Messiah is death-defying. The powers of sin and death were law-defeating, but Jesus Christ, in him, God, dealt with the powers of sin and death because the Messiah is death-defying. As Paul says in Romans 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And indeed, in verses 10 and 11 of our text this morning, listen as he says, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is your life. Because of righteousness. Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. And so these words tell us more. They tell us more than just that the Messiah is death defying, they also tell us that the spirit is life defining. It's it's worth noting here that in the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul uses the word spirit three times. In chapter 8 alone, Paul uses the word spirit 19 times. It is the beating pulse of this marvelous chapter. Listen again in verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death. But the outlook of the Spirit, say it with me, church, is life and peace. Not only does the Spirit of Jesus Christ defy death, the Spirit of Jesus Christ defines life right now. This future hope that we have has a dramatic impact on how we see things in the present. I love how the New English translation that we just read says that if you're living according to the Spirit, you have your outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. The Spirit gives us vision. Vision to see God's good future and vision to see to live into that future in the present. You know, the, these words that Paul wrote literal millennia ago have the same power today for us. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the Messiah is death defying and the Spirit is life defining. In a list of the most important theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth and Reinhold Niebuhr would pretty easily be very well near the top. And unsurprisingly, these two men approached theology in very different ways, Um, ways that I think can be contrasted in the answer to, to a simple question, and that is what is real? Now, I know this sounds like the inane, silly question of some bored philosopher, but but stick with me because the way that Niebuhr did theology was very much centered in humans. (laughs) Theology for Niebuhr started in humanity. So the answer to the question, what is real, would have to start there. It would have to start with what is most evident about us and our nature and our condition. So the answer to what is real would be sin. Sin is the most evident thing about us, and so when your theology begins in man, that, that's inevitably the answer. For Niebuhr, love is, is less real and it's more of this kind of unattainable ideal. You know, love is an ideal, sin is real. But contrastingly, the way that Karl Barth did theology began in God. It began not in human beings, but it was centered around God. And so the greatest thing, the clearest thing that we know about God and who he is and what he does is his love for us revealed in Jesus Christ. So for Bart, the answer to the question of what is real is the love of God. The love of God is the most real, the most defining thing about us. Sin is this kind of, this impossible possibility. Sin is this shadow side of love. Its existence is conflicted and its destiny is to vanish when God makes all things right. So what is most real for Karl Barth when we ask the question centered in God, is God's love in Jesus Christ? Now, you might say, though, you might say, Brett, I mean, the data of my life says differently. The data of my life says sin is very real for me. It absolutely is that that this is a part of who I am, of my fabric, and this this is who I am. This is what's real. But that line of thinking ignores the fact that not all data is created equal. When we ask the question from God, what is real about us? The data point, the only data point that matters is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, that is what is most real about you. What is most real about you is, is not your sin, is not the struggles and the wrestling, is not the voices in your head. What is most real about you what God says about you. and God says, I love you in Jesus Christ. And God says, I condemn sin in the flesh and I've freed you from that law of sin and death. You're not defined by the flesh, you're defined by the Spirit. The Spirit of the crucified and risen Messiah, Jesus. So church, are you in Christ? Have you passed through those waters of death into the freedom on the other side? Salvation in Christ alone. That's where we need to be. That's where we need to be, church. Because in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation